Hello, everybody. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am now currently in John chapter 1. In our last audio, we took up verses 19 through 28 in chapter 1, and we talked about how John the Baptist testified to the commission from the Sanhedrin as he was baptizing at Bethany beyond the Jordan. He testified to this commission from the Sanhedrin that he indeed was not the Messiah, but that someone else was. And now in this audio, we're going to we're going to have John actually identify Jesus as the Messiah. We're only going to do we're only going to do verses 29 through 34. There are no parallels. So let's start with verse 29 and 31. When I say there are no parallels, I mean there's no uh, synoptic parallels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So let's start with verses 29 and 31 of John chapter one. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who has surpassed me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel. The next day, it means the next day after the commission for the Sanhedrin came out there asking who he was. Now, Jesus, uh, John the Baptist identifies Jesus when he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, this is the Lamb of God. Why did he use that expression? This expression, Lamb of God, is very common amongst Christians today, but it's in the Bible only here in this verse and in verse 36, only twice in the New Testament, well, actually in the whole Bible, and it's all right here in John chapter 1. This is according to the NIV study Bible. Well, here's some options as to why John the Baptist used that expression of Jesus. He could have been referring to, as option A here, he could have been referring to the lamb offered at Passover, and that's what I've always assumed it was. NIV Study Bible says that. Or he could have been more particularly, he could have actually been particularly referring to the lamb of Isaiah 53.7. This is option number B. Isaiah 53, 7 says this, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. Option C, John the Baptist could have been referring to the lamb of Jeremiah 11, verse 19. Jeremiah 11:19 says this, For I was like a docile lamb led to slaughter. I didn't know that they had devised plots against me. Let's destroy the tree with its fruit quotation marks here. Quote, let's destroy the tree with its fruit. Let's cut him off from the land of the living so that his name will no longer be remembered. Jeremiah hypothetically quoting his Jesus' opponents. So Jeremiah here in Jeremiah eleven nineteen refers to Jesus as a lamb led to slaughter. Or option D, John the Baptist could be referring to the lamb of Genesis 22, 8. Genesis 22, 8 says this, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. This is when God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac on the altar and then rescued him by providing a ram whose horns were caught in a thicket. Famous passage in Genesis. And Abraham says, God will provide the lamb, the lamb of God. Option five, the reference to lamb of God is a general reference to a sacrifice, not a particular offering. I've been going through particular things here. The lamb of Isaiah, the lamb of Jeremiah, the lamb of Genesis. Now, the NIV study Bible says this. This is a, just a general re- reference to sacrifice in general. John Gill mentions this also. In other words, Jesus was the sacrifice that would atone for the sins of the world. So John the Baptist was just saying, hey, he's the sacrifice. Not particularly referring to any Old Testament passage. Or... 
John Gill has option number six. Maybe John was just making a reference to Jesus' meekness and gentleness. Well, I don't know, but it seems to me that the idea of the Lamb of God is everywhere in the Old Testament, everywhere, and that we can see that lambs are docile. They're led like a lamb, led to slaughter. They don't fight. They just go take the executioner's axe right to their neck like a sheep silent before a shearer. So all that fits Jesus, like a lamb led to the slaughter. So it works. It's a, it's a great metaphor, and I think that's why Christians quote it all the time. He is our sacrifice. He had to die for our sins. Now, John the Baptist in verse 31 here says, I didn't know him. I, John the Baptist, did not know him, did not know Jesus. I did not know the one that I told you about, the man coming after me. I didn't know him. What did John mean when he said, I didn't know him? Well, here's some options, two options, two basic options. Option number one, he didn't know. John the Baptist did not know Jesus personally. This is what the NIV Study Bible mentions and that Gill and Clark and Jameson Foss and Brown, all three affirm. That's what John the Baptist was saying. I didn't know him personally. Why? Well, he had been living in the desert up till now. Luke chapter 1 verse 80 says this, the child grew up, John the Baptist grew up and became spiritually strong. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Well, if he's living in the wilderness, he's not going to have any chance to see Jesus at a family reunion. And that's probably what John the Baptist meant. However, the NIV Study Bible says that the most probable option is a different one. Is option number two, John the Baptist didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. When John the Baptist says, I didn't know him, he's saying, I didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. I might have known him personally, but I didn't know him as the Messiah. Until he saw the sign of the Holy Spirit fluttering on him like a dove. And then that's when he believed. Well, and this is my suggestion maybe it's both he didn't know him either way he didn't know him as personally as a person and he didn't know him as the messiah he just didn't know him but then the holy spirit indicated to him who jesus was now when john says after me comes a man who has surpassed me because he existed before me that's he's referring to the fact that jesus existed before the foundation of the world he existed even before the creation john the baptist only existed from the time he was created in his mother elizabeth's womb Again, this goes along with John the Baptist's extreme humility. I must decrease, that he must increase. I am not the Messiah, he kept saying. I am not the prophet, I am not Elijah, I am not any of these guys. He said to the Sanhedrin Commission, he's humble, even though he fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy about being the one who prepared the way. Now John says I, in verse 31, I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water, as the Holman Christian Study Bible translates it. That can also be translated in water very easily. I like in better because I am not a pedo-baptist. I believe we ought to baptize believers. I never saw a baby that believed, but we're not going to get into that here, of course. Now, let's talk some something, something about chronolo chronology problems, timing issues. Verse 29 says, the next day John saw Jesus coming. Well, that was the day after the Pharisees' commission came. And then we go down to verse 32, which I haven't read yet. John testifies, I watched the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. So at some point, there was a baptism of the Holy Spirit on Jesus. And also at some point, there was the temptation of Jesus when he went into the wilderness. Now, John doesn't mention the temptation. So the question is, is where do you put that temptation? Before the Holy Spirit fell on Jesus or afterwards? Well, Gill, John Gill, Adam Clark, and A.T. Robertson say that, well, A.T. Robertson says definitely that, the temptation was before the baptism of the Holy Spirit of Jesus. 
And Gill and Clark suggest that it might be that way. On the other hand, CARM, the Christian Apologetics Research Ministry, Matt Slick, he, in his chronology, he has the baptism before the temptation. I was always assumed that baptism and the Holy Spirit came before the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Because why in the world would God send Jesus into the wilderness without strength? I've even used that as examples for applications for Christians today. Don't go in the wilderness to be tempted unless you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. But now, if you reverse the chronology the way that Gil, Clark, and Robertson want to do, well, that destroys my teaching application. Actually, I didn't realize it was a problem until this morning. So I still don't think it's a problem. I think that on theological grounds, if even if I can't prove it on by harmonizing the scriptures and looking at the different passages, and I don't think you can prove it that way, I think it's more logical, theologically, to say that, that God uh, baptized Jesus and the Holy Spirit in order to get him prepared to go into the wilderness to be tempted. Now, when exactly did all this happen? I, I think it's lost in the mist of time. A.T. Robertson says that about a week is covered in this particular section of John. There are four successive days in John, he says, in verses 19, 29, 35, and 43. I'll just take his word for it. Then we have to add three days until the wedding feast occurred at Cana, which is in the next chapter, verse 1. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. I assume that's the third day after the events of the baptism of Jesus at the River Jordan. So the time, at least in my mind, the chronology is a little fuzzy. But we'll go, I'm just going to go for right now with the fact that Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit at some point uh, during Jesus's, um, doing John the Baptist's ministry. Then he he left to get tempted in the desert, and then he came back and and started his ministry of baptizing. And then, and then we go to verse 32 and 34 and read this. Now let me just read verse 32 first. And John testified, I watched the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and rested on him. This does not mean this happened in that period that we're talking about in that four-day period, or at the end of that four-day period. Oh, excuse me, on, on the period that says on the next day after the commission came from the Sanhedrin, John then sees Jesus get baptized on the Spirit. I don't think so because John testified, I watched. That's in the past. When in the past it was, I don't know. I assume it was before the temptation. And John testified, I watched the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he sent, but he who sent me to baptize with water, that's God the Father. I didn't know him, I didn't know Jesus, but he, God the Father, who sent me to baptize with water, told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And here we have the Holy Spirit falling as a sign. It was actually visible to John's eyes. Because it says the one you see, it does not say it was like a dove. Not in this passage. In another passage, another another one of the Gospels, it says it was like a dove. It doesn't say it was a dove. So it's the Holy Spirit came down gently, I guess you might say, and resting on Jesus is something that John could see. Now, whether he could see it physically with his eyes or spiritually in a vision, I don't know. But at any rate, it indicated to John the Baptist, the, the incident indicated to John the Baptist who Jesus was. And... John the Baptist adds an interesting detail. He is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. In other words, even as Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit, because the Spirit descended and rested on him, even as Jesus is baptized in the Holy Spirit, so Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He baptizes other people in the Holy Spirit. And this fits in with something I'm very strong on, patterns, types, examples, if you will. Here's a pattern in the New Testament. Jesus is baptized in the Holy Spirit. He is our 
exemplar, if you will, the author and finisher of our faith, why would we not imitate what he did? We do. He suffered, we suffer. He's resurrected, he resurrected. He lives a new life in the Spirit, we live a new life in the Spirit. He's a new man, we're a new man, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, he's baptized in the Holy Spirit. I believe that we also should be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, I realize that everybody gets an all the panties in a wad over, over this, but I, but, I, but I will tell you that I believe, in my humble opinion, that when Jesus baptizes in the Holy Spirit, he baptizes Christians who have already been regenerated in the Holy Spirit. And I get that by following another pattern, the pattern in Acts. Five cases in which people were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they were subsequent in four of those five times. When I say subsequent, I mean there was a period of time between the regeneration of the Holy Act of the Holy Spirit, regenerative act of the Holy Spirit, and the baptismal act of the Holy Spirit. And in five times, you can either say, say explicitly or implicitly speaking in tongues, and one time was even prophecy. And I know cessationists don't like to talk about those horrible things, but they're in the Bible. Of course, cessationists like to cut those things out of the Bible, but I don't. So I think that this is he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. This is our example. In fact, this is where the term baptism of the Holy Spirit comes from. Um, I believe that this John is referencing here the baptism of the Holy Spirit that occurred at Pentecost. Now, when you read the book of Acts, it doesn't, it doesn't, Acts doesn't actually use that expression, baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think it says filled. And if you go through those five examples in Acts, one says uh, filled, and, and some of them say receive the Holy Spirit. But here we get the phrase baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that's where we get the phrase baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I use the term baptism of the Holy Spirit because that's what Jesus, what happened to Jesus. And if it happened to Jesus, it happens to us too. Just because the gospel writers use a different, or just because Luke uses a different terminology in Acts, that doesn't bother me. I just say, well, he's just referring to what Jesus is talking about, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here's what the NIV Study Bible says about that phrase. Here, uh, as an option, this is referring to Pentecost. Well, I think that's what it is. And of course, the other instances in the book of Acts were replications of what happened at Pentecost. And I believe that they were examples of what is replicated every time a Christian asks for that experience. Now, another option besides Pentecost, it could be referred to Jesus baptizing individuals of the Holy Spirit. That would be a good charismatic Pentecostal type interpretation. I don't know. I I don't think it matters either way. If it's referring to Pentecost, well, Pentecost is repeated. So I, I think it's a pattern in Acts and I think it applies to everybody, not just the particular groups of people that were mentioned in Acts. NIV Study Bible says, If a specific event is intended by these words, the fulfillment was the sending of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The NIV loves to split the difference, give these mushy <laughs> statements because they don't want to hurt their sales. They know a lot of charismatics and Pentecostals might be buying their Bible. And if they said this is refers to Pentecost, but it doesn't refer to being baptized in the Holy Spirit individually, how many Bibles would not be bought? So, at any rate, I don't think it matters that much. The point is, the main point to be gotten from all this is that Jesus baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And he's our example. And why did, why did John even mention it? He says, because I saw the Spirit resting on him. And likewise, Jesus is going to cause the Spirit to rest on other people. Whenever John was talking about, it's going to happen. Now, John in verse 34 says, I have seen and testified that he, Jesus, is the Son of God. Let's talk about that metaphor son of god we use it all the time without thinking about it is one who takes the nature of his father now it can't be the one who was born of his father because jesus was never born he's eternal he's co-eternal with the father 
my son is not co-eternal with me. There was a time when my son was not. But there was never a time when Jesus was not. He was always. He always existed. So the meta, you can't press the metaphor too strong. But using earthly examples, a son takes on the genetic structure and characteristics of his father. So likewise, the son is divine like his father. So when you say that Jesus is the son of God, you're saying he's God. He's, he's divine just like God is. Now, how was John the Baptist told that Jesus was going to be the Messiah? In verse 33, John the Baptist says this, I didn't know him, I didn't know Jesus, but he, God, who sent me to baptize with water, told me. So he, the Father, told, who sent me to baptize with water, the Father told me. How did the Father tell John the Baptist? Here's some options from, according to John Gill. It was an articulate voice. In other words, the air around John the Baptist was manipulated by God in such a way to make a voice. This is him. Or it was a divine impulse on his mind. Well, I'm not going to, you know, I don't know how you prove that one way or the other. I do know this. Cessationists always saying you can't have a revelation or impression of the Holy Spirit on your mind because that would mean that you might try to write a book of the Bible and therefore you're somehow derogating against the the revelation of canonical scripture well i don't believe that i believe the holy spirit can lead people as long as it doesn't contradict the bible and as long as it's checked you check it by your common sense your experience the scriptures the the suggestions and counsel and advice of wiser and mature christians but bottom line is at some point you're going to have to learn to listen to the holy spirit as an impression on your mind i don't if you want to call me mystical for saying that i i, I was fine call me a mystical i'll just return the favor and call you a deist how about that all right, so much for this little short section of John, chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. Now we are, or now that John, Jesus has been baptized in water, been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and John the Apostle is finished telling us about John the Baptist's ministry, we will now watch Jesus choose his disciples in the next audio, which will cover John, chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. Not all of his disciples, but his first disciples. See you next audio. Hope you enjoyed this one.